Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. particular book in the Bible that I think has a lot of application to this generation that we're living in now. And uh, we've been learning uh, about this cycle that we all go through, both as people and as uh, people specifically and people kind of at large. You can put it on the screen. That'll help. This will be like the kind of beginning and end point of everything because you see it in the book of Judges over and over. Uh, we're going to talk about gender today because it comes up in the text and I think it's going to be helpful. We just thought like, you know, they'll throw that thing in like kind of Black History Month vibe at the end of, in the service and then I'll just do a gender thing. So we'll just kind of put like all the things that freak people out all in one. It's like a, it just kind of makes it a little simpler than kind of doing them one by one. Uh, throw that cycle up there, Nick. Um, this is what we've been learning about is this is what the people of God, meaning all of us, and what the people of God, meaning you, we struggle with, and this is what the book of Judges is about, that when we're caught in sin, which sin is any choice that we make against what God's desire for us is, it always brings about oppression. It means that we think that sin is something that we want, but it ends up that it has its way with us. We think that we have control over it, but eventually we realize that it has control over us. In the book of Judges, it means that when the people are oppressed, the, eventually they, uh, foreign nations take over them. And eventually that goes on for long enough that the people fall to their knees in repentance and say, God, will you help me? God, I need to come back to you. God, I'm so sorry. God, how did I get over here? God, how did I do this? God, what happened? And after uh, they repent, this is the most beautiful part every single time. God never says, well, why don't you just sit there in it for a little while? God brings a deliverer that helps fix the problems. It's, there's still consequences that remain for their sin, and there's still like broken pieces all over the place, but God heals, fixes, puts things back together, and then there is this long season of peace where things go well for just long enough that the people kind of forget how they got into this mess and fall back right into it. So the last time we were together in this text, we were studying uh, Genesis, uh, Judges chapter 3. That was the story of Ehud. If you were here, that was the story about the big dude who gets like the dagger put in, and we had a lot of fun with that. Now we've made it to Judges chapter 4 and verse 1. Thank you, Jake. And it says this, chapter 4 and verse 1. I hope you'll look with me. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. That's your cue that the cycle has started again. Do you see it? So the leader who had led them towards God is gone, so now they've fallen back in. And so the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Janan, uh, Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera. That's the bad guy in this story. 
Then the people, verse 3 of Israel, cried out to the Lord for help. That's the repentance. For this guy Sisera, he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. We're seeing that right there, what I just described to you. Now, what's interesting is um, the people of Israel, and this will kind of like mess with your head a little bit, because we live in an age that strongly emphasizes how our individual choices affect our individual lives. But often when you read the Bible, it also talks about how the, the group cohesively, that the choices of a few become the pattern of the many, and that affects people greatly as well. You see? So it, it should kind of strike you as kind of strange. Like, what do you mean the, the people of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord? Was it like all of them? Like all of them did? And what we're seeing in the book of Judges that I think we see today is that more than we often realize, our choices are affected by the systems that we're part of, the cultures that we're part of, not just our individual desires and choices. You see this in lots of ways. Like, I'll be honest, I lived a whole like 30 plus first years of my life and never once thought, you know what, I'd like to eat some kale. <laughs> never like... But then all of a sudden, like, everybody around me was like, no, you just put it in, like, the blender. It's good. You just say it's good. You, you, and it's like all these yoga people and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, all of a sudden, everybody starts doing this thing. I'm trying to use simple examples. Like, I, when I was uh, a teenager, I would have never been caught dead wandering out of the house in sweatpants and a sweatshirt. But now, like, people, like, wear sweatpants to weddings and stuff. It's, like, very confusing. But what... <laughs> What happens is, what, and then all of a sudden you start trying to use fun examples to get us to the real thing, which is this. More than we realize, we are affected by the norms of culture around us. And we start doing things and watching things and saying things and participating in things, not just because of the choices that we individually make, which we do make individual choices, but also because our behavior is very conditioned by the systems, cultures that we're part of. Uh, and what we see here in these first few verses is that systemic problems of which the nation of Israel and they're falling back into sin over and over and over, that systemic problems are designed to withstand heroic individual actions. Do you see it? They... So Ehud is this, 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 I'm still just in the first verse, and the people of Israel did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. He was this powerful ruler who rose up and pulled the people of Israel away from their sin and towards God, heroically. And after he died, you know what happened? The people floated back towards what they were before he came. And you can look at almost any problem in our world and almost any problem in your life that it takes more than heroic action. It takes a system to change. And the reason that this system couldn't change is we found out in Judges chapter 1 that the people of Israel had intermarried with people of other faiths, and so they were destined to keep falling back into this trap. I'm belaboring this point because it's important for everything that happens from here. We see also there in verse 3 that the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help because Sisera had 900 chariots of iron. That is supposed to be telling us that he had a technological advantage when they went to fight in war. 
don't know, I've been like kind of paying attention to this thing where we're like all of a sudden the government's just shooting like balloons out of the sky. Yeah. I'd like never heard of that in my whole life and now we were shooting one out every day. Who's been like kind of, I don't know if you're like a UFO person, that's not really my thing. Uh, Star Wars, Marvel movies, none of that really fits me. But like, but there is something kind of strange about like the fact that, like I don't know, does that like mean if we got like eight balloons from Jewel down the street and just floated them out in front of the church that the government would come along with like a missile in the next half an hour? In our country, we spend a lot of money on defense and we trust that it's going to keep us safe. We trust that our technological advantage is going to help us. And when it says there that he had 900 chariots of iron, it's supposed to be telling us that the people of Israel knew that they couldn't beat this army in their own strength. It was supposed to make them understand that the only way that they could fight the battle that they were needed to fight to free themselves from what had broken them was if God was on their side and filled the gap between what they could do and the war that they were fighting. Now, we see that as being like a negative. Like, I can't win this fight on my own. But when we get to places like we were singing just a few minutes ago where we can't fight on our own, that is often the time when God shows up in the most power and we become the most like him. I don't know how I'm going to have enough money to retire, God. That's a place where God shows up. I just feel so lonely. I don't know. I can't do it. When we come to a place of saying that problem is bigger than my human ability to solve it, Right there is where God most often shows up in the most powerful ways. This is all getting us now to the point of the text. I will go quicker so as not to keep you here all day. Verse 4, now Deborah, it says, a prophetess. The wife of Lebedeth was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her from judgment. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, okay? So we have a female prophet. She's a woman. She's a prophetess. She's a wife. That presents, depending on where you grew up and what kind of church you've been part of in your life and what you, way you grew up in the world, a bit of a problem maybe for you. What does it mean that there's a female prophet? Uh, this woman is presented to us unambiguously as a political and spiritual leader. A prophet in the Bible is someone who always has the same job. A prophet is someone who is asked to speak for God or on God's behalf. Think of a prophet in the Bible as like, a, I think maybe like the worst job that could possibly exist in the world today is to be the press secretary for the president. So you just kind of like stand at a podium and people try to trick you. And if you make like one long, wrong look with your eyebrow or say like one word out of place, then everybody just freaks out and freaks out and it becomes the biggest deal in the world. And why does it, like if you knock the thing off the podium and everybody hears it, then it's like all awkward and no one knows what's going on. It's like, what is, why is that such a bad job to have? Well, who cares what this person is saying? It doesn't matter. Why does it matter? Because they have been entrusted with the authority of speaking for the president that's off over here. So the reason why the person in this job matters is because not what they think, but because of who they speak for. That's what a prophet is in the Bible. So Deborah is a prophet. Now you have to study this story carefully to understand it, but she is, it says there, judging Israel at that time. That means that she's, people are coming to her and saying, what is God saying right now? Or what does God think about this? And if you study the text carefully, which the book of Judges requires you to, 
the reason that Deborah is being asked to speak for God is because the priests that have been assigned the role of speaking for God are failing. So the people are over here asking Deborah, Deborah, what is God saying? Because the guys who had the job of speaking what is God saying were failing to do it. Deborah is presented to us as a person of significance in the story, but she is not technically the judge that the story is about. It's about this guy we haven't met yet named Barak. Uh, You'll see him, meet him in a minute. But what a lot of this passage in Judges chapter 4 is about, it is about what happens when men fail to do the job God has entrusted them to do and women have to step up and do it in their place. So what we'll do is we'll have uh, all the fellas cover their ears and then I'll say that again and whoever feels like of the spirit to just shout an amen can feel free to shout an amen. What this story is about, if you study it carefully, is about a woman who steps up to solve the problems created by a passive man who wasn't willing to do what God asked him to do. And through history, from this time, thousands of years ago till this day, the relationship between the genders, male and female, are fraught with difficulty and problems. This is not the way that God created it. This is a result of sin entering the world. So to have a profitable conversation here, let's just lay a few kind of tracks of what I think that the Bible teaches that'll help us in this message today. First, uh, men and women are different physically. I think we can get that one pretty straightforwardly. The Bible says that God made men and women different, both in the image of God. Men and women are also created different emotionally. And this has gradation depending on which person that you're talking to, but one of the consequences of the fall when sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3 is that uh, it's pointed out that the woman is going to want something from the man, Eve from Adam, that is different than what Adam is going to want from Eve. And there is this inherent dissonance because of sin that men and women deal with. Uh, Three, expectations around what men and women should do or... uh, norms around gender shift generationally. That gets a lot of play in the culture today, but it is true that what is the job of a man, what is the job of a woman, shifts generationally. This is one example that I found humorous as I was studying this. Uh, This is a copy uh, of a woman's magazine, I think from 1903, and this is what it said in that magazine. Listen to this. The generally accepted rule, this is 120 years ago, the generally accepted rule then is Pink for boys and blue for girls. The reason is that pink is more decided and a stronger color, so it's more suitable for a boy, while blue, which is more uh, delicate and dainty, is for a girl. Okay, so what what am I pointing at? I'm pointing at there is the part of male and female that is God-designed, and there is the part that culture adds and layers around. So 120 years ago, It was said, no, 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 the strong color for males is pink. The dainty color, whatever that word could possibly mean, uh, for girls is that beautiful blue, just like you got there, Brian, there in the middle. (laughs) That norms around gender shift generationally. And then four, this is going somewhere that I think is really important. Men's and women's roles are distinct biblically, and men and women are equal in the sight of God. The culture wants to tell you that men and women are the same. 
That's true in the sense that they are equal in the sight of God. But God made us to have overlapping and complementary roles. That's as far as we're going to take that for today. Only then to add, we must, work, we must work hard to discern what the Bible says, not what our ears want to hear. All right, so now to the story. We're going to go quicker now. So now this is what Deborah does. So Deborah, verse 6, she sent and summoned Barak. And she said to Barak, uh, this is now chapter 4 and verse 6. I think we have this for the screen. She said to Barak, has not the Lord, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go and gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? See, what does she say? So she sent and summoned Barak. And she said to him, didn't the Lord command you to gather 10,000 men from these groups of people? That's not an honest question, obviously. That is a question designed to get him to give the answer that she already knew, which is, of course, it's a rhetorical question. So then Barak says to her, verse 8, uh, if, if you will go with me, I will go, but... But if you won't go with me, I'm not going to go. And she said, well, I'll, I'll, surely, I'll surely go with you, but nevertheless, the, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera, that's the bad guy in the story, into the hand of a woman. <coughs> so Deborah rose, she went with Barak, they get the 10,000 men, they get ready. Verse 12, when Cicero was told, he's the bad guy, that Barak had gone up to Mount Tabor, Cicero called out all his chariots. We heard about them before, those 900 chariots of iron and all the men who were with him. And verse 14 then, Deborah says, this is the third time she speaks, she says to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Cicero into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and it says the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. We see three things here in the story, in what I just read to you, that I think are very clear and I think are helpful. One... We see that when men don't do their jobs, women have to do it, and God gives them the strength to do it. So Deborah is in the role of speaking for God's people because the people that God had assigned have failed. And I don't think I need to spend a ton of time describing to you today how many places there are in our world today where women are not just trying to do their own jobs, but also trying to do the job of a father who isn't there, or a father who is physically present but not there, or trying to make it financially with someone who isn't pulling their weight or trying to fill the gap for someone who's no longer here. It is everywhere in our world. Two things. Uh, God is the only one who can help fill that gap. You give it everything you got if you're in that space. But the only way the gap can be filled fully and completely is God. 
And two, there are times and places and groupings of people in the world who are harsh towards the women who have to step up into the place of the absent men. And I have to just say, frankly, that is like really wicked behavior to be critical of a woman who's trying to be strong in place of an absent man. Sometimes that's what is required. What do I mean? Because I think we have some weird cultural vibes around this. What do I mean when I say a good man? The job of a good man, scripturally speaking, I'll maybe preach on this fully another day, is to protect women and children, is to serve their family and church, and is to entrust our faith to the next generation. That is the job of a good man. And when there is not a good man to do that job, women have to rise up in their place to do it, and God has to give them the strength to do it. It isn't the way that it is supposed to be, but sometimes it is the way it is. Deborah is speaking for God because the men who were supposed to do it weren't able to. I see a second thing here, which is that when men get weak in their jobs, women encourage them, and God gives the strength. You can't miss it in the story. It happens twice. Deborah's like, hey, Barak, weren't weren't you supposed to get those 10,000 men together and to go out like God told you to do? Weren't you supposed to do that? Then he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's kind of like coaching him up. And then he gets them together. And then she has to somehow show up and be like the alarm clock, like, hey, come on, guys, today's the day. Get up, let's go, let's fight, let's go, let's fight, let's go, let's fight. Like she's like a football coach or something. (laughs) And this is sometimes what happens that sometimes God entrusts to women the challenging reality of pushing those men in their lives to do what they need to do. This is so common as to be a proverb culturally. You've heard it before, I bet. You hear, it says, you hear people say this everywhere. Behind every good man is a even better woman. Why did people start saying that? They started saying it because I think that they found it to be true. It is necessary. It should be that God would give the men around the strength that they need to do, and they would have the strength to do what they need to do, but sometimes they need the women in their lives to encourage them. You see it in the story. can't miss it. Now, the story takes another turn that I haven't shown you yet, which is a third element or component that when men don't complete their jobs, women have to do it, and God gives them the strength to do it. So we saw a second ago that Barak killed the whole army, but Sisera, the main guy, it says that he got away on foot. Look what happens next. You're gonna, this is crazy. But Sisera, verse 17, he fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. It says, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazer and the house of Heber the Kenite. So the, the head guy of the army, he sees his army's been destroyed. And when he sees his army's been destroyed, he runs away and he sees one of his friend's wives kind of hanging at her tent, and he's like, oh, maybe you can help me. That's what happens. And so he says, hey, uh, she says to him, hey, why don't you come on in the tent? And she, like, she covered him with a rug, I think, to hide him, which I find kind of humorous. Verse 19, he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink, and then he said to her, standing at the opening of the tent, stand at the opening of the tent, and if anyone comes and asks you if anyone's here, just say no. Now, look at this. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand 
Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. I like this part, just so it's clear. After just, I want to get this part. After she drove the tent peg through his head so that it was stuck to the ground, just notice what it says, yeah, next. So he died. Just, just in case there was any wondering if you could have a tent peg through your head nailed to the ground, just so we're clear on that point. After that had happened, then he died. I, uh, I'm sure there's a few people in the room that have wanted to do that to a fellow or two along the way, but this lady actually goes all the way through. I mean, I just find it so... That was the best way she could come up with to kill the guy. He was sleeping. But, okay, so the kind of intensity and the almost vulgarity around it can distract us from what's the point. This other woman had to finish the job that God had entrusted to Barak and the rest of the army. So then Barak, it says, verse 22, he was pursuing Sisera. So Jael went out to meet him and said, come on, I'll show you the man you're seeking. So he went into the tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. I always just pause, pause right here. I always like imagine when they were writing the Bible down, like how funny it must have been. Because he's telling the story to somebody. He's like, so wait, wait, tell him to me again. It was a... It was a tent peg? What, you're telling me he was nailed to the ground? Like his head was nailed to the ground? Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you. You're not, it, it, that's how it got to us reading it here 3,000 years later. Verse 23, so on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. There's a long poem that comes next, and then at the end of chapter 5 it says, And the land had rest for 40 years. So we've just taken another lap through that cycle that you and I go through. And as people, collectively, this church, all churches, our country, we go through. Why did we talk about all that, and why does it matter? Well... One, it's here to draw our attention to the desperation that we must feel for King Jesus, who is perfect and kind and loving and stands above all of this foolishness. Sometimes if you get too like narrowed down on one little chapter or one little verse in your Bible, you can lose sight of the whole big story, that the whole big story is we can't do it on our own no matter how hard we try. We may get it right for a little bit of time, but our sin is a problem that we can't get away from, and the only solution is the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ. And then every so often, we have to sort of like look at the disgustingness of the sin that we fall into to remind us how thankful we must be that we have a Savior. So if you kind of got dragged in here, you're not a person of faith, uh, that's where I would encourage you to just land today, is you're like, I don't know about all this, but like, does that, is he about to, like, does that 10-peg thing, a thing they do here, is that coming like before the end of the service, or if, if you're feeling nervous or whatever? <laughs> Churches are weird, huh? You, know? <laughs> you can't do it on your own can't do it on your own. You 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 may be able to stay fit under your own strength, but you can't solve your sin problem under your own strength. You need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. One. 
Two, for as long as we're on this planet, we're going to be, as a man in relationships and interactions with other women and as a woman in relationships and interactions with another man, and getting some clarity in our minds around those dynamics helps us honor and love and serve God and the people in our lives the very best we can. The church, uh, historically at large, has been very poor in this regard. Because the church has often used the reality that God has made men and women different an excuse to put men above women. That's not the Bible. That's the culture that gets wrapped around the Bible. And every marriage and every church and every relationship has to figure out the right way to live together in harmony under God. And it's different for different people and personality make a difference and the way you grew up together, all those things make a difference. But you see here something that is easily observable. It's this. The woman steps into the place that is vacated by the men and God is pleased with what she does. So the, the like judge, if we were counting who are the judges in the book of Judges, Barak is the judge. But the hero of the story is Deborah. She does and makes sure that he does the things that God wanted him and her to do. And I wonder if there could be some grace today. Um, it is a, I don't know, it makes me so nervous to say it all in the exact right way, but it is a challenging day for Christian women in this culture. It is challenging because on the one hand, the culture is pressuring them all the time to stand up for their rights and to stand up for themselves and to not let anyone push them down and to sort of like push all of the bad things that men have brought to the world out of the way by this, look at me, I am woman kind of attitude. And then on the other side, in so many places, there is church and church people subtly telling strong women all the time, your gifts may be helpful out there, but they are not welcome in here. And standing in between those two things, being what God has made you to be, and also not resorting to sin to deal with the sin that is in the culture is just very, very, very challenging. And I don't expect that in the next seven minutes before this service is over, I'm going to be able to handle that, hand that to you in a perfect way. Just this. We want this church and I want your life to be a place where the exact person that God has made you to be, man or woman, is able to be used in great ways for his glory. So if God has made you a strong woman, there is a place for you at church and anyone who's ever told you that you need to change your personality or change your way because it doesn't somehow fit was not speaking for God, they were speaking from sin. If it wasn't for this woman in this moment standing up strong, God's purposes could not have been advanced. And I think there's encouragement for all of us of the male gender that you see, that so often you see uh, God works in power through women. And if you don't have a way of thinking about the world that allows for that, you're not following the Bible. You're following some cultural thing that you found out there. I think that was enough on that. And then last thing. So many broken pieces. I can see it in a lot of people's faces as I'm looking around right now. There are so many broken pieces because of I had a dad who wasn't there like he was supposed to be. And I have this complicated relationship now with my mom because she was trying to be mom and dad. 
or I'm trying to be mom and dad because dad isn't there for these kids the way that he promised me he would be. Or there's so many broken pieces that come around all of that. And that is not something to hide, dear friends. It's not something to pretend doesn't hurt or pretend isn't difficult or somehow to say, like, if I just trust God, that means it doesn't hurt. No, it's an effect of sin on our world. But God can fill that gap in ways for you and can bring you through. It doesn't matter how much you were failed. God still wants to meet you and help you. We would love to pray with you and we can help you find some counseling to sort that out. And there's 10,000 steps after right there. But there are a lot of broken pieces that people have in their life because of men who didn't do what they were supposed to do. And we don't want to be a place that says that didn't happen. We want to deal with it. And God wants to make something beautiful out of it. So that was everything I came to say today from God's word. I hope it's been useful to you. Would you bow your head with me? And I uh, just sense a, a sensitivity, which is beautiful in the spirit now. I just want to pray a prayer. There's a lot in there, what we talked about today. And I hope we've been honoring to God and to his word and what we've talked about. Why don't you just for a second bow your head? And why don't you just for a second close your eyes? And I just want to... Um, I just want to pray for you today. I'm not going to make you say anything and no one's going to look around, but is there anybody who would just say by a show of a hand, like, man, you're, I don't know what's going on, but you're talking right to me today. If that's you, could you just raise your hand for a second? I'd love to pray for you. Yeah, I see people all over the room. Just for a second. Just for a second, just till I see it. Yeah, there's people all over the room. Nothing wrong with that. I, uh, I want to pray that you would experience the healing love of Jesus Christ before we leave this room. Lord, sometimes when we take a second to look at all that's broken, man, is it hurt. But I'm reminded that your word uh, promises us that you, you know, you've, you feel what we feel. You can meet us in our suffering and our weakness. And Lord, for every person now all over this room who feels the gap that we've talked about today, I want to pray, Lord, that you would help them to turn to you not to any other substitute for that problem. And whatever the steps are, one, two, three, four, Lord, that are needed, I pray that there would be strength, but we don't need to, just right there, Lord, I pray that in this moment you would pour like your word says. You would pour the love of Jesus Christ all over the vulnerable places in them. People let us down, Lord, but you have never let us down. And we look at our lives and we're like, I wouldn't have chosen that and I don't know how to figure that out and I can't and this and that, Lord, but I know this, I know this. You are good and you're with us. If we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So I wanna pray right now, Lord, that you would pour your love on the sensitive places in each person. Bless them, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is good news.